Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we'll be taking a break from our usual format of discussing Beef Watch newsletter articles. Today's conversation is a producer's perspective, and I have the privilege of being joined by Jeremy Rowe, who's a farmer and feeder from near Bruning, Nebraska, and also part of Bear Creek Family Farms. Thanks for joining me today, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Well, Jeremy, before we talk about the focus of our conversation today, which is how you use small grain silage, in particular triticale silage in your operation there, share with us a little more about yourself, the history of the operation there, and some of the different enterprises that are part of it. Well, um, I guess to start off, I am 26. I've been doing this, well, I've been on the farm since I was born, but I've been full-time since I graduated college in uh, 2015. We are a crop and livestock operation. We farm roughly 1,400 acres of farm ground. Um, that entails row crops, you got your normal, typical corn and beans. We also do quite a bit of small grain forage and also some summer annual forages. Occasionally, we do alfalfa. We haven't for a while. It's just uh, our climate does not. It's not real conducive to putting up good alfalfa. It's just too humid. But we do quite a bit of like oat hay, triticale, silage. Got some sedan grass, some millet. We'll, we'll graze those. We'll put up some for hay. And then we have a, uh, I guess we just finished a expansion project. We're, we're now, we got the 1,500 head feedlot. And we do anything from three-weight ballin' calves to finishing heifers. We even dry a lot cows through the summertime. We dry a lot fall cows in the summertime. So are fall cows part of your operation there, or do you have a cow-calf component as an enterprise as well? Um, it's starting to be. Uh, we've been kind of transitioning toward starting a cow herd. For the last couple of years now, it just seems to fit well with what we're doing. We can run cows or run the calf on some rye or some millet and, and run cows on cover crops all winter and then wean in the spring and, and dry lots of cows. That works really well for us. We don't have any grass to speak of in our area. And to, to rent any grass is pretty pricey. So that, that was the option we went with. And it was mainly spurred by custom feeding other people's fall cows in the summertime. That kind of sparked an idea and we ran with it. So talk a little about the feeding size of your operation there. You obviously mentioned you do a wide variety of things. How does that all fit together with your cropping system there and, and also the use of your small grain silage? Everything we feed eats of varying amounts of our triticale silage. We feed quite a bit of that. I really like it. It's, it's not quite to the feed value of corn silage, and our tonnage is about half of what corn silage is. We typically we average about 15 to 16 tons per acre on the triticale silage, but our costs are four times less than corn, and we get two crops in a year out of the same acres. As far as feeding, when we first started out, we were handling a lot of a lot of high-stress, lightweight calves. We still do a little bit of that, but as we've grown, we've kind of started going more towards feeding bigger heifers and even some, leaving quite a few heiferettes. We can just do we can just do more animals with the same labor. Getting to a point where we couldn't handle 800 head of high-stress calves at once with the labor we had, so we had to make a change. We still do a little bit of that, but not near as much. So talk a little about when do you plant your triticale silage? 
What do you select for in terms of varieties? When does it typically come off? And then what's the secondary crop you follow that up with? We are, for planting, we are right behind the combine in the fall, usually going in behind corn. Every once in a while, we'll go in behind soybeans. So it's usually it's the day after or the day of. I'm in there with the air seeder planting it. We're picking the corn just so we can get it, get it in as soon as possible to get as much growth as possible. And that seems to directly affect what our tonnage is going to be like the next year is how much growth we have on it going into the fall. Last year we got it in late because it was wet and we didn't get our crop out until 5th of November and I was in there on the 6th of November planting it wet. It was only a couple inches tall before it froze, went dormant, and that affected our stand. We try and get it planted as soon as possible so we can get the most tonnage possible. As far as variety, I'm really not that picky on variety. So you think about timing a harvest come spring, obviously weather dictates that, but what's kind of your target? We're shooting for boot stage and the triticale, and that usually falls end of May, first week of June, typically right in that area. But we kind of, we don't really have a set calendar date. It's more where we got to balance when the chopper can get here. We, we hire our chopping done. So when can he get here? And uh, what's the growth state of the triticale like? That's really our two main factors we look at. Well, also finding the right weather pattern where you can get it laid down and have it wilt for 24 hours and then get it picked back up. As wet as the spring was, we just couldn't find a day to get in the field until I think June 15th before we got it put up this year. And that really affected our quality. It was headed out and starting to pollinate. It's, it's not as good of feed quality as it has been in, in the past years, especially our protein. That really hurt our protein level. When you get it harvested in the boot stage, what do you typically see for quality on that triticale silage? Harvested in the boot stage, we're usually 12 to 15 percent crude protein and high 60s, low 70s for TDN. We do fertilize our triticale, so that probably helps, and that definitely helps our tonnage. Uh, like I said, we were averaging over the past six years now, we're averaging 15 tons per acre. That's coming into the bunker, and that's at, that's as fed at 65%, 70% moisture. Okay. I like to put it up in between 65 and 70, just so we can get a good pack on it. It seems like with them hollow stem cereals, rye, oats, it doesn't matter. Anything with a hollow stem, it's really hard to get packed when it's below 65. And if it gets below 60, you're going to have an even harder time. It's just too fluffy. And that's really critical on getting getting a good quality silage put up is getting a good pack on it. We put on inoculant, and that really helps. But you can put on as much stuff as you want. If you don't get a good pack good, you're not going to have a good product. What are you looking at for chop length as you have it come through the chopper and into to the pile? I like to be quarter inch particles um, and that that really helps pack. You got a nice finely packed in a lot better. You know, when you get some of the stems or if it's headed out, you're going to have a hard time getting that stem chopped to a quarter and even the top, from the top joint up to the stem or up to the head. Some Sometimes that stem is coming in at two inches, but for the most part, I like to see quarter-inch articles 
so just so we can get it packed good. How do you manage the forage coming out of the field to the pile in terms of just thinking about how quickly the volume can come and then being able to manage that in a way that you can get a good pack and, and manage that volume of product coming in quickly? I don't remember which university I saw this at, but I, I had a saw a formula once and it was um, your tons per hour coming in times 800 is how many pounds of pack tractor you need. And that's just the formula I use to figure out how much weight we need on the pile to get a good pack. And uh, just kind of a rule of thumb is you can't have too many pack trackers. Well, I guess to a certain point when they start running into each other, that's too many. But it's really hard to get silage packed too hard. I'd, I'd rather err on the side of an extra pack tractor than not enough. As far as managing moisture, uh, we have our own swather, so we can we we can control when it gets laid down, and that's that's not a that's not a big issue there. Uh, the hardest part is, especially if the wind's blowing and it's hot out, you can go from perfect moisture to too dry in a matter of an hour. And that's really the hardest part to manage is how figure out how much to lay down and how far to be ahead of the chopper to be with the swather. Because you don't want it too wet, and then you'll have it juicing out the bottom of the pile. But if you got it too dry, then you're going to ultimately have the same problem because you can't get it packed good and it's going to get too hot. And that's, that's really our, the biggest challenge of putting up a lot of them small grain silages is they dry down so fast if it's if it's hot and windy that you really uh, you really got to manage that tight. When you're chopping that triticale silage, what's kind of your typical window of harvest? I Meaning, how how long are you doing that? How many days does it take to fill your bunker? Usually takes about a day and a half from the time we start chopping. And again, this this depends completely on the forecast of what it's supposed to be. So we try to get a 24-hour wilt on it before we start chopping it. And we can manage a lot of that dry down by when we're raking it. We'll rake two windrows together. So we can, can manage, if it's, supposed, if it's gonna be windy, we won't lay it out in an eight foot windrow, we'll lay it out narrower and we'll rake it earlier. I mean, there's, there's different stuff we can do there. Managing that window of time when it comes into the bunker, you say usually day and a half from start to finish. Yeah, and that day and a half is, is pretty typical. Unless we have breakdowns, we can get it put up in a day and a half. And how many tons of triticale silage are you typically harvesting in that time frame? Roughly 1,500 to 2,000. Depends on the year and how much we have left over from the year before. 1,500 to 2,000 is typically what we put up. So you mentioned the importance of inoculant and then the importance of getting a good pack. Once you've got it in the bunker and packed, how do you manage quality going forward from there? You got to cover it. Uh, we use, a, I believe it's a seven mil. It's just a basic plastic tarp. It doesn't even have an oxygen barrier. It's just a standard white and black silage tarp, and then we cover it with semi-tire sidewalls. Our shrink is, has been running about 6%, but we're, we started using a different feedlot software, and it's, it's tracking all my ingredients. So this will be the first year I've had through the scale on my feed truck. It's Bluetooth into my iPad. I've had something else besides me writing it down to keep track of shrink. So I'm really excited to see what our shrink is because I'm, I'm betting this is going to be a whole lot more accurate than I was. Sure. So we'll see what we'll see what our shrink is like this year. But typically we've been around six percent. We cover it, um, and then that's really about it. I mean, once, as long as you got it packed good, you cover it, you're pretty much golden. 
what do you see for spoilage on the top of the pile? Do you how much spoilage do you see? How deep is it? Or do you get covered soon enough that you really don't see much spoilage? There's really not much spoilage at all. We cover it usually within a day or so of when we get it put up. So there's really not much spoilage on it. The only there might be a half inch of spoilage in between the sidewalls and but other than that there's really nothing up there. How long do you let it ferment before you open the pile and start to use it? I try to wait three weeks, but some of that depends on I mean if we're clear out, I'm gonna be feeding it right away. But our bunker is big enough that if I start feeding off the face of it, it's not going to affect the fermentation of the rest of the pile. I think our bunker is, we're 60 by 140. So if I feed a little bit off the face, it's not going to affect the rest of the pile. How do you manage feed out and trying to keep that face fresh and minimize loss that occurs when you're, when you're feeding off the face of the silage pile? Well, ideally a facer rake or something that you can just scrape down the front and get what you need. It would be ideal, but we don't have one, so I just use the grapple on the payloader. It works just the same. I just just kind of rake down the front of the pile with the times of the grapple and just scoop up what I need for that day. Because that's, that's probably one of the worst things you could do is break off a bunch of it, and then it just lays there for a day and gets it gets hot, and eventually, if you let it lay there too long, it'll be like a pile of grass clippings that's laid there and just starts stinking and gets really hot. So that's we really try to manage that the face pretty judiciously. We try and keep it smooth. We don't try and get big chunks out of there. We just we just kind of gradually rake down what we need so we can keep it fresh. And then we're moving. We just move across the face. It doesn't matter what direction we go, but whatever direction we start. It's kind of like a typewriter. We'll start on one side, go to the other, and then come back to the, to the other side and just keep feeding across that way just so we can keep it as, as fresh as possible. Obviously, you're feeding a lot of different classes of cattle there, everything from lightweight calves to basically finishing cattle in some situations, and then you've got some cows that you're dry lotting. So kind of give some perspective how this triticale silage fits in the wide variety of diets you're using there and, and what advantages you see of it? We mainly use it for a roughage source in the finished ration. Um, we use it energy and protein source in the in our growing rations and in our cow rations. So we'll feed quite a bit of it. And our, our cow rations, we're feeding 35% of the ration is that triticale silage. Um, and in, in our finished ration, I think we're feeding 10%. So it, it varies depending on what ration it's in, but it's, I really like it. I don't like to feed the cows a bunch of starch, but I really like it in that sense. And I'm not feeding my cows a bunch of corn. So when I get them, when I turn them out on uh, cover crops or grass or whatever, I don't have to transition their gut from digested starch to digested roughage. They're already digested roughage. So just thinking about your cow ration there, your dry lot cow ration, this is 35% of it. What's the other pieces that make up that dry cow ration in the summer for those fall calving cows? We'll feed a little bit of modified distillers and hay, be CRP hay, sedan grass, just something. Then there's a, another filler and roughage source, and we got some liquid uh, supplement in there. That's pretty much it. It's, it's fairly simple. And 
on that, we're, we're limit feeding those cows. So it's a fairly hot ration, but we're limit feeding them to 18 pounds of dry matter a day. So on a dry matter basis, this silage is good enough quality. And then obviously you're complementing it with the little distillers grains and some other things, but those cows aren't getting all they want. They're, they're kind of cranked down from a no. dry matter basis. Yeah. You're able to maintain condition then on that ration and hold those cows where you want them, I guess, with the ration that you've got. Yeah. Following this winter, we, we use the same ration to put weight on some dry cows. We just upped them to 23 pounds of dry matter as opposed to 18. So I guess it, it's kind of, you could go either way with it. You could put weight back on cows if you need to just by feeding them a little more or you could or we can just maintain them and feed them where they're at. Once they're used to, once they're transitioned over to being limit fed, it's not a problem, but you kind of got to step them down, especially if they're grazing on some rye or something where they're eating quite a bit of their intake. Their intake levels are pretty high. We have to start pretty high and step them down. Otherwise, uh, that hard shock, they, they, they hit the bunks pretty hard. On a bunk space, just management, how much bunk space are you giving those cows in this limit-fed diet? I, I figure two foot per cow, and that's pretty – when you go along and count the uh, the cows on our, our post on our bunks are eight foot apart, and there's four in between each two posts. So that's pretty, pretty dead-on accurate. And if we do feed any pairs, I figure three foot, but we don't do that very often. Just transitioning here now just a little bit. Once that triticale silage comes off, what do you follow that crop up with and how does that work in your rotation? Typically, we've been following it with soybean. And with, with that, we were seeing about a 15 bushel yield decrease from our April planted beans. This year, we followed it up with fairly short season corn for this area, 105 day corn. And that we're going to put that up for yearlitch here in another week. We just decided to go with with the corn because we needed earlage and just economics. The, the the bean prices this spring were not good, so we just didn't want to put any beans in the ground. And I honestly, I will know next week when we get into that field, but it looks a whole lot better than I thought it would be for being planted the 18th of June. It, that, that corn really took off, and it really surprised me on how well it looks. So we might have to uh, look into doing more of this next year if it's, if it's going to be as good as I think it is. You mentioned your April beans, and then you're backed up 10 to 15 bushel on these beans planted off the triticale stubble or what you go back into after you harvest the silage. What would be typical yields on April beans planted in your area? And then you know, what does that back up to if you're following it into triticale? Um, yeah, typical bean yield for a full season planted in April bean is for us is going to be 75 to 80 average, and we were averaging 55 to 60 on the later planted beans. But some of that was dependent on the year. Some years it was, I mean, there was only 10 bushel difference, and some years there's 20. So, I mean, it, it just depends on the year, but that's pretty typical of what we've been seeing. But is it seems like if we can get the beans in the first week of June, it's not going to be too hard to hit 60 if you're after. Especially if you're end of the second week of June, you might struggle to hit 50. So it seems like there's a pretty hard cutoff there right in the in the first week of June where you have to get them in, otherwise you're really going to start seeing the yield decrease. And I think a lot of that has to do with daylight. 
What other advantages does the triticale provide for you in your crop rotation that you feel like give you some benefits? Well, it really helps decrease our feed costs. We're, we're only, we're getting about half the yield as we would on corn silage, but our costs are four times less. So per ton, we're, we're, our feed costs are half as much as they are for corn silage. And that really helps us there. And then just having a silage with no starch in it really helps us on the cows. Just so we don't, I, I don't know, that might, might just be a personal preference thing. I just don't like feeding a lot of corn to cows just so they don't get too fat on me. I don't like fat cows. And then and we also get, uh, we get two crops off of the same acres in one year, which is helping our efficiency and, and it's also helping lower our, our fixed costs on them acres because our production is double what it normally would be. And we're spreading that out across two different crop enterprises, if you will, as opposed to trying to make one cover all our fixed costs. You mentioned you're going to be chopping earlage here pretty quick. What's kind of the thought process behind moving towards utilizing some of that, and what are some of the advantages or things that you think earlage may provide for you with your operation? For us, the main factor was just logistics at harvest. We can get the earlage put up a lot faster than we can uh, high moisture corn. A lot of that has to do with the equipment we had for, for rolling our high moisture corn was pretty small. And we, it always seems like we were, we were getting behind on other parts of harvest since we're waiting on getting stuff into the roller mill. So just logistically, uh, it fits better for us. I mean, this will be the first year we're putting it up. But uh, working with our nutritionist, he was really pushing us to go with, with the yearlage as far as... Uh, for, for weaning calves and, and more of that route. He said it, it'd be a, a better uh, calf weaning ingredient. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to try it. I've, I've looked at several yearlage piles in the past year when we were making our, our decision, and I really like the looks of the, of the feed, so I'm really excited to try it. One thing else you'd like to highlight, Jeremy, as we point towards wrapping up in terms of some keys you found with with harvesting silage and making it fit in your operation as a whole? Oh, just the number one key that's been stressed to me by our silage inoculant guy is chop it fine and pack it a lot and cover it. But if you if you're gonna if you wanna put up good silage, you've gotta get it packed. It doesn't matter how much inoculant you got on there, if you don't have it packed good, it's not gonna be good silage. Thanks again for joining me today, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Now, for more information on storing, feeding, and harvesting silage, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. At the website, we have a number of resources there that can provide additional information on this topic.